Good morning. My turn to welcome you this morning here, Bay Area. Glad that you are here. As always, if you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us today. Take a look at the screen there. You see the, the title of my lesson today is Surprise, Surprise, Surprise. If you are about my age, you right now are thinking of Gomer Pyle, right? If you're younger than me, you have no idea who that is, but you should. Very significant historical figure. It actually has nothing to do with the lesson today. But as I was preparing for this lesson, and, and I, I titled, entitled it, Surprise, 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 I started thinking, what surprised me the most in my life? Where's where sometimes when I've been most surprised? And it takes something to surprise me usually, but I remember a time that I think was probably, I was surprised as ever, and that's when Martha told me that we were going to have our first child. That surprised me. It shouldn't have, but it did. I remember everything about that moment. I remember where we were. I remember what we were doing. I can almost tell you that conversation verbatim, the conversation that we had. I was surprised. You know, people send me things. They send me information. I want to share some information with you. Again, this doesn't really have too much to do with the lesson. It's free information. But it's going to be something that I think everybody can benefit from. If you get surprised by the news that someone is pregnant, I want to share with you some things not to say to that woman. Okay? I want to share with you the top ten things not to say to a pregnant woman. Number ten, you must be having twins. Don't say that. Even if you know she's having twins, don't say that. Number nine, sorry I can't give you a hug. My arms aren't that long. No. Number eight, my sister only gained 20 pounds when she was pregnant. Do not say that. Number seven, are you, are you sure you want to eat that? Don't say that to any woman, by the way, but especially a pregnant woman. Number six, I bet I can outrun you across the backyard. <laughs> Number five, honey, you're blocking the big screen TV. <laughs> the Number four thing, never to say to a pregnant woman. Are your ankles supposed to look like that? <laughs> Number three, hey, my back hurts too. <laughs> you are not going to get the response you think you want. Uh, Number two. Soon as the game is over, we'll go to the hospital. <laughs> and the number one thing you should never say to a pregnant woman, you don't have the guts to pull the trigger. <laughs> so now when you are surprised with news of a pregnancy, you will know what not to say. Okay? Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. There are no pregnant women in Acts chapter 9. However, there are some surprises that we're going to read about in the ninth chapter of Acts. Now, I promise we're going to pick up the pace a little bit uh, going through our study here in the, in the book of Acts. But for this week, I want to go back and spend one more week in Acts chapter 9. I told you last week, it's a monster chapter. And I want to look at some surprises that some people have and how they respond to those surprises. Because there's some lessons that we can learn. Let's take a look at the first three verses again. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, we talked at length last week about who Saul was. He later becomes Paul, but who he was before he met Jesus. He was, uh, he was a scary guy. Notice verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. As he neared Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Isn't that just like Jesus? No announcement, no proclamation, no warning. No, Saul didn't tell his companions, okay, let's stop right here because, uh, you know, Jesus is going to show up pretty soon. Not at all. Suddenly, Jesus shows up. We talked a little bit last week about Saul's focus on the way to Damascus. He was a guy who was uh, spent his whole life trying to be somebody within the Jewish community. He'd gone to the right schools. He had the right connections. He was perfectly positioned to climb that ladder of success in, you know, in the Jewish society. And then these Jesus people were starting to turn the world upside down, and something had to be done about them. And Saul of Tarsus was just the person to do something about those Jesus followers. The city of Damascus was over 100 miles from the city of Jerusalem. It still is, by the way. Which means Saul and his companions had about five days to think about to plan, to strategize what they were going to do when they got to the city of Damascus. For at least five days, this group of men thought about, this is how it's going to play out, here's what we're going to do, and for at least five days, God allowed them to plan, and to scheme, and to envision how things were going to go. They were going to go into Damascus, they were going to arrest people who believed in Jesus. As they neared Damascus, as the anticipation was mounting, as the adrenaline starts to pump, as the plans start to finalize, suddenly Jesus shows up. Jesus had a different plan. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Without warning, Saul's life is going to be forever changed. Jesus speaks first. Saul, Saul kind of interesting, Jesus calls him by name. He knows who he is. Now, I mentioned last week, he had a reputation, Saul of Tarsus. Within the Jewish community, he was respected. Within the Christian community, he was feared. Jesus knew him by name as well. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not only did Jesus know who he was, Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew where his heart was. He knew what he'd been doing, and Jesus also knew what he was going to be doing. Saul answers, Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Surprise, surprise, surprise. I'm Jesus. Think about how quickly Saul's mind is scrambling to process that information. Jesus, I thought you were a fake. I thought you were a fraud. In fact, I was pretty sure you were dead. This changed things. Again, Saul was not expecting to see Jesus, to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
He wasn't hoping to meet Jesus on the road. He didn't want to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he does. Here's the thing. When Jesus shows up in your life, you're going to have to deal with him. You just are. When Jesus shows up in your life, you're going to be forced to deal with him. One of my favorite movies of all time, maybe my favorite movie of all time, is Hoosiers. Set in the 1950s, it's a basketball movie. You know, a coach comes to this little small town in Indiana coaching basketball. And one of the earliest scenes of the movie, the coach shows up there at the first day of practice. And he walks into practice, and there's a dad who's been kind of running practice in his absence. And the dad says, now, you're not going to want to make a lot of changes. You know, the boys have a routine. Don't change things. And it's obvious that the coach has his own way of doing things. And the coach and this dad, they're, they're going to butt heads immediately. And so the coach tells this dad, really in no uncertain terms, your coaching days are over. You know, why don't you leave the gym? And the dad says to the coach, Mr., there's two kinds of crazy in this world. There's the guy who takes off his clothes and howls at the moon. And then there's the guy who does the same thing, but he does it in my living room. And the coach says, translate. And the dad says, well, the first guy, you can pretty much ignore. That second guy, you're going to have to deal with him. When Jesus shows up in your life, you're going to have to deal with him. It's always been that way. Toward the end of John chapter 6, Jesus is describing to his disciples who he is, trying to describe on a spiritual level. And it's a hard teaching. People that were listening to it had a hard time understanding it. You know, Jesus had a lot of hard teachings. John chapter 6 is a good example. The people have to make a decision. Okay, what am I going to do with Jesus? I'm going to have to deal with Jesus. Take a look at verse 66 of John 6. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. We're going to have to deal with Jesus. But his teaching has gotten hard. His teaching has gotten uncomfortable. I don't like this teaching. So the way we dealt with Jesus is we're just going to desert. We're going to walk away. Still an option, by the way. A lot of people choose that option. How do you deal with Jesus? I'm going to walk away. Verse 67, then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you going to leave too? Those closest to Jesus, they had a decision to make. How are we going to deal with Jesus? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. We believe them, and we know you're the Holy One of God. What are you going to do with Jesus when he shows up and calls you by name? How are you going to deal with Jesus when he surprises you? Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus has a big surprise, but there's some other surprises in Acts chapter 9 as well. And one of them occurs to a guy that we sort of brushed up against last week, a believer by the name of Ananias. Uh, Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
Notice, God doesn't say, Ananias, I want you to sit down for a minute. I got something to say to you, and I want you to hear me out. You might not like this, but he doesn't say any of that to Ananias. He just says, go find Saul of Tarsus and help him. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias says, I've heard of Saul of Tarsus. He's come up in conversation before. This man Saul, he's no friend of Christians. He's no friend of Jesus. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's come to Damascus to do the very same things he's been doing in Jerusalem. My suggestion, let's leave him blind. You know, we, we, we read verses like this, passages like this, and for the most part, in America, 2019, we just blow right past them. But could you imagine if we're sitting here one Sunday and those doors burst open and men with automatic weapons come down the aisle and they start causing us, telling us all to get out, leading us out family by family into some buses that are waiting out front and they take us downtown and we have to make a decision. Am I going to claim to love Jesus or am I going to be violently arrested? Those kind of scenarios never enter our minds living in America. What a blessing. But that kind of thing happened all the time in the first century. And people like Saul of Tarsus made sure that that kind of thing happened all the time. In fact, that's why he was in Damascus, for that thing to happen. Saul's plan is to go to Damascus and arrest Christians. And Ananias says, that's who you want me to go see. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Notice God calls Saul his chosen instrument. It appears the Lord chose Saul even before Saul chose the Lord. He says, verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Okay, now Saul or Ananias has a decision to make. How am I going to deal with Jesus? And I wonder how much time transpired between verse 16 and verse 17. From when God said go to when Ananias actually went. Maybe no time at all, I don't know. Now, I wonder if Ananias said to his wife, hey, i got to go over to Straight Street and see somebody. Okay, how long are you going to be gone? Mm, hard to say. Might be a while. <laughs> Who are you going to see? Uh, i got to go see Tarsus. <laughs> Who? Saul of Tarsus. Who? I'm going to see Saul of Tarsus. Are you nuts? No, you can't go see Saul of Tarsus. But verse 17 simply says... And Ananias went to the house and entered it. Listen, if I was Ananias, I would have wanted a little more than that from Luke. I would have wanted a little bit better uh, information there. I would have wanted, like, then Ananias, showing tremendous courage, went to that home, 
entered that home and then you're looking straight down the barrel of death and did the thing that no other person would have the courage to do. That's what I would have wanted Luke to say. Luke just wrote, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Who was this guy, Ananias? I joked about his conversation with his wife. I don't know if he had a wife or not. I can't really tell you much of anything about Ananias. I mentioned last week the only time he shows up in Scripture is in the context of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Other than that, we don't know anything about him. He seems to be just an ordinary guy. He seems to be just a a quiet guy who happened to love Jesus. Apparently, he's, he's just a man who loves Jesus of Nazareth more than he fears Saul of Tarsus. Think about it. The Lord didn't blind Ananias. He didn't change Ananias' name. He didn't uh, give Ananias the task of uh, being a missionary all over the world. As far as we know, Ananias wasn't ever beaten or imprisoned or, or shipwrecked. He just was asked to get involved in the life of one very unlikely prospect. And you can sort of wonder, why did God go to all the trouble of getting Saul's attention when he had people like Ananias around? God chose Saul, this this zealous Pharisee, this terrorist as far as the church is concerned, a murdering prosecutor of the way. And God chose Ananias, just a quiet believer who seemed to toil in obscurity. In both cases, it appears God knew exactly what he was doing. Let me wrap up with some really quick comparisons between Saul and Ananias. And the first is this. Sometimes when the Lord calls your name, he expects you to wait. The Lord said to Saul, I want you to go into the city. You're going to find out what you need to do when you get into the city. For three days... Saul is waiting in the city for somebody to come. For three days, he's praying and he's fasting. God has a tremendous task for Saul. But his first task is wait. Just wait. It wasn't something he was able to do on his own, by the way. God was guiding him uh, every step of the way here. On the other hand, sometimes when the Lord calls your name, he expects you to go. He tells Ananias, I want you to go to the house on Straight Street. Again, maybe Ananias is thinking, give me three days to pray and fast about this. You know, I would like to mull this over a little bit. But God says, no, I I want you to go. Ananias went. He obeyed. He said, Brother Saul, which in itself is kind of a strange uh, choice of greetings. Jesus told me to be here. Here I am. When God says, wait, wait. When God says, go, go. Here's another observation. 
Sometimes when the Lord calls your name, it's going to turn your life upside down. Things will never be the same again. You want to talk about a surprise? You want to talk about someone whose life would never be the same? For the rest of his life, Saul of Tarsus, who of course becomes Paul, would be able to divide his life into everything that happened before Damascus and everything that happened after Damascus. He was a different person, had a different name even. I mean, you want to talk about a defining moment in life. His life is dramatically altered during that trip to Damascus. But then again, sometimes when God calls your name, it's to perform a task and then go back to life. God got in touch with Ananias. I want you to go help Saul of Tarsus. He does that. And then he seems to fade into the background again. We don't know anything else about him. He's never mentioned again in Scripture. Which task was more important? Both men obeyed God. Both men had a tremendous influence on the spread of the gospel. Saul, Paul, in a very direct way. Ananias, maybe more indirectly, but certainly a tremendous influence. You know, he helped Saul of Tarsus find Jesus, find salvation. You say, well, God would have used somebody else, but he didn't have to. He used Ananias, because Ananias was willing. Both men were called out of their comfort zone. Both men responded. And then finally, surprises always seem to be part of God's leading. Don't be surprised when God surprises you. You know, in Saul's case, the the surprise came in the form of a bright light, the voice from heaven. In Ananias' case, the surprise came in the form of a very unexpected and maybe even a logical command from the Lord delivered in a vision. Both of these men paid attention to what God was doing in the middle of the surprising. Neither given a great deal of uh, details about what was going on, but both these men obeyed in faith. Now, I think sometimes, I think, I think probably most of the time, we are so worried about having every question that we might come up with answered before we step out on faith that we never really step out on faith. We try to insulate ourselves from every surprise that might come our way. So much so that we don't really need faith, and we don't really need the power of the Holy Spirit, because we're not allowing ourselves to be open to God's calling. We're not allowing ourselves to be open to to God's surprises and opportunities. You You think of the life that Saul, who becomes Paul, would go on to lead. Think of all those giants of faith that he influenced and was influenced by. Barnabas, Peter, Silas, the other apostles. Talk to Paul. You say, Paul, who were your heroes? You know, who, what heroes did you have? Well, I've stood shoulder to shoulder with some of the greatest men in history. I traveled with Barnabas. I stood up to Peter. I was in prison with Silas. I counseled the other twelve. But who was your hero? I think maybe Paul would say, 
There was a guy in Damascus. You might not even know anything about him. His name was Ananias. He helped me better fall in love with Jesus. Ananias was focused on loving Paul when he was focused on destroying Christians. And I wonder if years later, as Paul sat at a table, writing some of the most quoted words in all of literature, I wonder if maybe he wasn't thinking about Ananias. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It's a long way from a Christian terrorist, isn't it? That kind of love was first modeled for Paul by a guy named Ananias. And I think Paul would say, that's my hero. And I say that with confidence because I think of the men and women who have helped me fall deeper in love with Jesus. And I think of those men and women as my heroes. We have talked at length this year about being a witness. About planting seeds. About telling people your Jesus story. And I think it's human nature sometimes to get frustrated. Or a little bit disappointed when, when things don't play out like we think they should. You know, when we're trying to, to help people find Jesus and we're trying to talk about Jesus. But people aren't responding like we think they should. Or we hope they would. Now we're trying to plant some seeds, but I don't know. Nobody's responding. You know, I haven't baptized anyone. No one's coming to church with me. I feel like such a failure. God told us to plant the seed. He'll take care of the increase. Let me remind you. We serve a God of surprises. If we keep telling, if we keep witnessing, if we keep planning, God will use those feeble efforts. Even if we never see it. Even if we never know it. Because that's how the God of surprises works. Take a look at this video. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of... Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. 
Thomas and Lisa became friends. It wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met. Never will. The world needs more heroes. The world needs more people who are willing to plant a seed. To brag about Jesus. To, to tell people what Jesus has done in their lives. To talk about the gospel. God calls us to have the courage of Paul. But he also calls us to have the heart of Ananias. He went outside of his comfort zone to talk to one very unlikely listener. About his relationship with Jesus. So this morning before we close. Let me re-challenge you. As we begin a new week, brag on Jesus. This week, tell someone your Jesus story. Pray for your server. Plant a seed. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And then, don't be surprised when God takes that effort and does something amazing with it. As a church family, if we can help you in any way this morning, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium, and you can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.